I'm Joanne Gallagher, BBC Radio Shropshire's political reporter, and I'm in Telford this evening with the leader of Telford and Reeking Council, Sean Davis. I've got lots of uh, questions to put to him, but this is your opportunity to put them to him as well. So if you've got any questions, do get in touch. You can uh, tweet me at jo- at Gallagher Joanne, and uh, you can also get in touch with us on Radio Shropshire's Facebook page or Telford and Reeking Council's Facebook page. So it would be great to hear from you. Councillor Davis, socially distanced? Absolutely, yes. Good evening. Good evening. It's nice to see you. Shall we start at the beginning? What a few months it has been. How's it been? It's been... It's been like no, uh, like a time no, like no others, hasn't it? I mean, we've been really, really busy here at the council, of course, but equally absolutely aware of the immense pressure on the local NHS, uh, our care uh, providers and settings. Um, but it has been non-stop. Can you remember what it was like getting that initial call, we're going into lockdown? A lot of responsibility from that very early stage was placed on the shoulders of you and your staff. Well, I remember it very well. Actually, it felt like some surreal, strange Hollywood film, actually, uh, that we were going to close down uh, all council services, uh, that we were going to be working with the government um, uh, to close down um, businesses, asking people to stay at home. Um, and it feels like a long time ago, actually, now, doesn't it? But at the time, it was it was quite scary. And what we were absolutely committed to doing as a council was to um, to play our part um, in helping our residents and our communities and our businesses get through this tough time. And at that very beginning, you're a, a Labour leader, and you were told by the Conservative government, "Don't worry, we're here, step by step, shoulder to shoulder. Whatever you need to do, get on with it. We'll support you." Do you feel supported? Well, I think, firstly, can I just take a step back in terms of what um, we said as a a local Labour council, but also what Keir Starmer said as as the national Labour leader uh, uh, for for us, which was we wanted to ensure that we worked hand in glove with the government because this was like a time like no other, and it was a public health emergency. We had to rally around. We had to be united and make sure we we were providing clear messaging to our uh, residents, and that's what we were trying to do right from the start, whilst recognising that where there were gaps in government support, we wanted to um, step into that gap and help our residents. And that's what we've done. And We have not at any point thought about money uh, in our response. We've thought about residents, communities and businesses. Uh, we've been consistently at, um, at one of the top performers in the, co- in the country in terms of uh, business, getting business grants out the door, uh, helping uh, vulnerable uh, communities, get, getting um, cash to care, um, care providers. And we've done that because the government told us to do whatever it, t- whatever it takes, and that's what we've done. Now listen, at the moment we've got a £19 million black hole, and that worries me very much. That isn't £19 million into the, into the future, that's £19 million that has to be found this financial year, in other words, by the end of March next year. £19 million shortfall, but so far you've been given around 10 from um, central government. Um, more money was announced last week. We think that roughly you may get around one million, but that's not been fully calculated yet. So you have been given money. We've been given money, but just to be absolutely clear, the nineteen million pounds is after all of that money that's been provided to us up until this point. So we're still nineteen million pound adrift. You are right to say we've had ten million pounds so far, but but even after that, nineteen million pounds the headache. Now, over the last ten years, we've had to cut one hundred and twenty-one, one hundred twenty-four million. And from our budget over the last 10 years. So £19 million in the space of seven or eight months is a huge amount of money that we have to find. And 
I've levelled with residents before on this issue. There's only a number of ways in which you can find that type of money. You cut services, uh, um, or you increase council tax, or you income generate. There's no way we're going to be able to find a ways to income generate by £19 million this financial year. So if the government don't um, keep to their word, and that's what we're asking, all we're asking is for them to keep to their word by, by providing that cash to us, we will have to increase council tax further, we will have to reduce services, and that is not what people were clapping uh, about on a Thursday evening uh, when um, staff here at Southern Recon Council were working through the night uh, helping and supporting our community. So to clarify, householders could be looking at council tax increases? Absolutely. We, we can't, there's, no, there's no other way to raise money but um, increasing council tax or reducing services or a combination of the two. Um, and that's going to be very, very difficult, um, given that um, the economy is likely to decline. I think there's uh, agreement on, on, on the fact that's going to happen. Um, and at the, at the time that people will want this council to step up in terms of our job box initiative, uh, which is helping people back to work, uh, we're going to be making some tough decisions. Now, there's still time, isn't there, for the government to come to their senses. There's still time for members of parliament who, and I haven't said this before, who have privately um, told me before this that they will do everything they can to make sure that this council is recompensed. It's time for them to um, come to uh, their uh, promise, really, uh, to the residents of Telford and Rikia. Is that local MPs that have privately yes. told you that? How much do you think you need then to, to, to fully be back up and running? Well, £19 million is what we need um, this financial year. Uh, we're projected to make an eight million pounds worth of savings the next the, the following financial year. So, in essence, thirty million pounds is what the problem is, um, and we absolutely uh, want to be a part of the solution as the economy goes uh, declines. We want to be part of that recovery. We want to be part of that reform, and we want to be a part of that helping residents get back to work and creating jobs. And we've got a fantastic track record in Telford Recon of business winning and business supporting, creating a better borough uh, by protecting, investing, and caring. I want to talk about jobs in a little while, but just to, to keep this with the local authority at the moment, could there be redundancies here? We can't rule anything out on that, and, and I've, I've been open with staff about that. And that's a real kicker, isn't it, when they've done so much in the last few months? Yeah, absolutely, and they, they, they're, they're not pawns in some game. Uh, this is livelihoods we're talking about, um, and I've been very clear uh, that we've got a track record around voluntary redundancies. And that's what we would want to try and um, um, maintain, avoiding compulsory redundancies at every turn. Um, but the reality is our biggest uh, cost, uh, cost as any organisation is our people. But we will do absolutely everything we can to minimise that and to mitigate that. And I'll be working over the summer uh, months with the senior management team here to find uh, uh, um, any savings that we can. And is that when you start to have these difficult questions? Yeah, and let's, again, let's just be level, level with people. There are councils across the country Labour, Conservative, Lib Dem, who are talking about bankruptcy. That's the that's the to the the extent uh, of the issue. We're not we're not crying wolf here. This is a massive massive issue, um, and we need government to do all it, it all it can after asking us to do all that we could. Talking about bankruptcy, we we know that a number of local authorities have recently said we could be looking at. This section 114, which in, it basically means we're only going to be able to run by doing what we legally required to do, so looking after children, vulnerable adults. Other than that, what they do is this section 114, which basically is bankruptcy. Now, you've said that that won't happen here at Telford and Rican. I've said that we're not in that place right now, um, and I'm, 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 I'm sure that we're not in that place right now. Um, I can't rule it out forever and a day, of course. But we have had, over the last uh, nine or ten years, 
a radical agenda of income generating uh, and that's helping us now but that said we still have this 19 million pounds black hole now into an additional seven million pounds next year so we we're not in that space at the moment uh, but uh, you know without that support some very very difficult decisions are going to come down the line if we stick with with jobs and, and the local economy I've, I've got a question that's come in um, here what work is being done to attract employers to the area um, specifically focusing on digital services as at Telford the questioner says is highly dependent on manufacturing jobs um, which have been impacted by the pandemic. So what are you doing to try and attract people into the area that uh, that may focus on digital services? We've got a fantastic um, track record in terms of getting businesses to come to Telford, to stay in Telford, to grow in Telford and we will continue to be ruthless in our competition. We've secured the biggest foreign and direct investment deal with Magna um, here in Telford Recon only a couple of years ago creating hundreds of jobs. I'm not going to um, uh, poo-poo manufacturing. Actually, one of the lessons I think of this pandemic is that we've got to, as a country, make things again. We've got to make things at scale, and we need to make sure that we're not reliant upon foreign governments um, um, to, um, to, be, um, to be providing um, things like PPE. Let's make them here in this country so we can scale up when we need to. In terms of digital, we've had a fantastic uh, achievement in um, securing um, Capgemini, uh, a company that does digital services for uh, the government. In fact, they were behind the furlough, the job retention software here, um, manufactured here in Telford. So we'll continue to do that. What I'm absolutely wanting to focus on, though, is um, getting our internet speeds right up um, so that we are region beating uh, in that. Um, and, of course, making sure that we're able to um, uh, encourage people to work at home. A lot of um, technology companies ask their staff to work from home, making sure that our local uh, planning policies um, allow for that. But effectively, my message is very clear. Any business, any sector, any size, we want them to come to Telford. We want them to invest in Telford and grow in Telford. Now you talk about working from home and more and more people doing that. Obviously, people have been doing this uh, here at Telford and Regan Council. We know that your neighbouring authority, Shropshire Council, have said that that could lead to them selling off the Shire Hall, their Shrewsbury HQ, to try and to save money. Is that something you would look at here? Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, we've, we've reduced our office accommodation by about a third over the last uh, nine years or so. So we've, we're well ahead of uh, the curve on this in, in the event. We've always encouraged our staff to, to work from home. We've invested significantly in technology for them to allow, allow them to do that. Clearly, with this pandemic and the opportunities around Zoom and Teams and, and software like that, that's even easier now. But equally, getting that balance to make sure that we have that culture. I think sometimes the challenge with um, organisations that have everybody working from home all of the time is you don't get that culture of togetherness. So I want to work out how you can balance those two things. But without a doubt, uh, office accommodation is going to be something we want to look at. But as I said, we've already reduced our office accommodation quite significantly over the last few years. But where we are at the moment, Addenbrook House in, in, in Telford, does the council own this? Is this something that you could look at descaling? Yeah, so Addenbrook House, where we are now, is owned by the council. Uh, but this whole area, um, we're eyeing up for a significant regeneration uh, project called Station Quarter, connecting the railway uh, and uh, the business um, businesses around this area into the town centre, into, into the town park. I mean, I think we've got to be um, careful not to think that um, things won't return back to some degree of normality. This pandemic will hopefully, and you know, God willing, very quickly uh, come to an end, and we will get back to a normal uh, where people can socialise again, and hopefully a vaccine found. Um, so we need to get that balance right between um, the council pulling away from areas, because when we pull away from areas, we then, we then pull spend away from areas. So we need to get that, all those things balanced, really. Have you got any idea at the moment what the likely 
economic damage is going to be to the Telford and Rekin area down to the pan- pandemic? But we're working with um, the West Midlands Combined Authority and uh, a government um, body called Midlands uh, Engine, and we are looking at a significant downturn, um, and, uh, like uh, every other part of the country. But what we have here in Telford and Rekin, because of, of our manufacturing base, because of the fact that we are a new town with new town infrastructure, we have got the ability to bounce back significant, significant. And what we're saying as a council is we want to bring forward capital expenditure. We want to spend money uh, now to aid uh, particularly small and medium enterprise businesses to stay afloat, uh, to work uh, and continue to employ people. And this is why it actually goes back to the point around um, the government support. If there, is no, if, if, if there isn't a strong council here in Telford and Reek and back in local businesses, uh, then that will have a, an economic impact too. How supported are you by your, your local MPs? You've got Lucy Allen and you've got Mark Pritchard here. Well, I, I, I speak to Mark Pritchard uh, on a regular, a fairly regular basis. Uh, we have a, a health, a weekly health call with Chief Executive of uh, the Hospital Trust, CCGs and so on. Um, and, and Mark, as one of the local MPs, has been involved in that. In respect of Lucy, less so, less, less contact, uh, although we are involved uh, now with her in regards to the town fund that the government set up. Um, and, and some of the bureaucracy around uh, getting the money f- from government into uh, here in Telford. If you look at Southwater and regeneration there, you, you've ploughed a lot of money into that area. There are a lot of shops there. There are a lot of restaurants there. We also know that some of those restaurant chains are the ones that potentially could be hit by redundancies and, and closures. What are you going to do to try and safeguard the future of Southwater? Well, we need to look at ways in which we can support those units there and those businesses there, and we've already done that. So those tenants that are our tenants, we've spoken to them about business rate relief, we've spoken to, spoken to them about rent um, uh, deferments, uh, so we're, we're doing all that we can to try and keep those businesses in place and in fact I've been in regular contact with a number of businesses personally uh, in Southwater and can I just add across Telford and Reek here. Um, so we'll need to look at that, we need to look at ways in which we can diversify Southwater further uh, and our high streets for that matter so that we can drive people in. Um, and also, we need to make sure our local businesses are resilient. So if there is a second or a third wave, and that if there is a local lockdown or a national lockdown, that those businesses, businesses can continue to trade in some form, whether that be online or whether that be through um, diversifying their offer during that time. That's something we really want to work with local businesses in Southwater and on the high street uh, to help them come through that. I mean. For example, it sounds it might sound a little bit daft, but you know things like contactless payments is something that for a lot of small businesses that isn't something they've accessed or had to access. So we're looking at ways in which we can offer that support. Well, I'm Joanne Gallagher, BBC Radio Shropshire's political reporter, and you join me here in Telford with the leader of the local authority, Sean Davis, and he's here to answer your questions. So do please keep sending them in. You can do this via Radio Shropshire's Facebook page or Telford and Reeking Council's Facebook page, or you can uh, tweet me at Gallagher Joanne. Um, I want to talk to you about health huge issue everywhere but obviously locally we have hospital concerns as well which I will will get on to but sticking with coronavirus which I mean we have to I wanted to talk to you about about care homes and, and the Prime Minister Boris Johnson saying too many care homes didn't really follow the procedures what are your thoughts on that? I think it's a, a crass comment it's a, an offensive comment uh, by the Prime Minister and I think he should apologise uh, immediately I from what I know of the local care sector, they have done absolutely everything that they can to ensure patient safety. 
at a time when actually the National Health Service were taking, sending patients out really, really quickly into care home provision. Without care home provision, the NHS would have been in a very difficult position. And they were sending them without tests initially? They were sending them a, 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 a without tests initially, and that was the national guidelines. Before the national guidelines uh, changed, uh, we made a local decision, uh, and I've got to say against huge pressure, uh, from um, health, the health system that we would not uh, agree to and consent to transfers from hospital into care homes without a negative test because it doesn't take a, um, a brain surgeon to work out that if you are either positive and you don't know you're positive or you're, you're without symptoms, going to a care home setting is a dangerous place to be. So we, we, we introduced that change along with other local councils um, and the government changed tact. But these are um, organisations that have worked really hard. And I asked people to think, when they were clapping on a Thursday evening, for the NHS, absolutely and quite rightly, but also for care home staff, are we now saying that those care home staff are to blame or the care home managers are to blame? And that's what the Prime Minister was inferring. And I think he needs to correct the record uh, very quickly on that. 140 care home deaths across Shropshire um, as, a, as a whole with patients with with covid do you think this is the the scandal of the coronavirus i think ppe will be a scandal of coronavirus and the lack of ppe um, and i think uh, how the system put people into care home settings without any checks and balances will be a scandal and i don't say this lightly people died as a result of that decision and any public inquiry that comes up, and I think there needs to be a public inquiry into this, will, I think, no doubt show that. I think um, asking care homes with very, who are very small in their infrastructure to be um, dealing with a troubling of PPE costs um, in, in that time of crisis was, was unreasonable. Um, and I think um, that people have worked really, really hard in that care sector, and they should not be beaten up now uh, by anybody, including, now most importantly, the Prime Minister. How would you have felt at that moment in time if you had an elderly relative that was having to go into a care home? Well, I did, actually. I had uh, members of my, fa my own family who died in a care home uh, of COVID in Telford and Rekin, um, and it's awful. I don't want to talk about it necessarily in any great detail, but so I'm aware of it. Um, and um, listen, care home staff did a fantastic job um, in Telford and Rekin and right across the country under huge, huge pressures. At one point, and this is... a uh, this is a sign of success to one at point, but just demonstrates the pressures. At the local hospital trust, there was 400 vacant beds uh, with all the NHS staff that are associated with that, whilst care homes were really under, under, under pressure. Now, we should not be working on a divide and rule. The health secretary is called the health and social care secretary for a reason. He's there and that department's there to oversee both sectors. Um, but social care has been for years the Cinderella um, service and it's continued to be on this pandemic. I think things are better now. I think um, PPE is getting there. We as a council increased our uh, charges that we, we, we provided to care homes to try and help them through. We fast-tracked government support when it became available. But all those things came very much late in the day. I've had a question from a resident that wants to ask you about um, the local hospitals. We've got the issue that we call future fit, which if for... for people listening maybe don't know it's it's what the name that we use for the reorganization of the of the hospitals which would um, see um, the PRH downgraded and women and children's moving um, to Shrewsbury there would be an A&E local at, at the PRH 
the questioner asks, where are we up to on those plans? Well, I think this council's always taken the view that Future Fit simply does not make sense to have the fastest growing, one of the fastest growing uh, towns in the country without a fully functioning A&E is madness. To move a women's and children's units as part of the proposals uh, is madness. Um, and I, actually, I think in COVID has demonstrated even more madness because if you look at how um, healthcare is being developed and delivered at the moment in Shropshire and Telford and with COVID, actually hospital care is being delivered over, over four sites. Uh, it's being done at, at the Royal Shrewsbury Hospital, the Princess Royal Hospital, the Nuffield and Shrewsbury um, and the Hospital in Oswestry. If you went down to having an accident to the emergency department in one location, and there was no infrastructure to be able to uh, um, um, scale that up at a time like this, that would be an absolute disaster. So I hope that the government will see that we uh, actually there's an argument for a bigger hospital estate, not a smaller one. You wrote, didn't you, as an authority to Matt Hancock back in November, asking him to maybe look again at this at this decision and to maybe have the local A and E at the RSH in Shrewsbury. Has anything happened with that? Well, I, I mean, our, our desire as a council has always been actually to have fully two fully functioning A and E's, and if that wasn't possible because of the decision of the government, what we argued was that if it had to there had to be one, then that should be in Telford. But on balance, we wanted to have uh, provision in both uh, areas. Uh, my understanding is that the health secretary has given the green light. He, he, he did that uh, about November, October time last year. But I understand from health bosses that they haven't. Um, continue to do the work on it because of COVID, which is understandable. So I think there is uh, there is an opportunity now for us to pause the process, have a think about health and social care on the round as a result of uh, this pandemic, have a think about how actually services can be delivered and importantly can be scaled up at times of need. Um, I mean, ultimately, I'm uh, not making a, a, a moral judgment on this at all, but it's taken a private provider in enough field to come to the aid of the local health organisations because they can't cope around capacity. So if you reduce further, then how on earth does that work in the future? So are you are you pausing your question then to look again at the decision? No, I'm renewing I'm, I'm renewing that, but ultimately the government have made their decision and there's nothing we can do around their decision. We've called the independent review panel uh, here. They've, uh, as it happened, a Conservative uh, member of the House of Lords came, looked at the schemes and then backed the proposals, the Health Secretary um, has also done that. It's now with the local decision makers. But my offer has been the same since I became leader of the council a few years ago, which is let's work together for a solution rather than looking for problems and arguments. And I think this pandemic is a, an opportunity for us all uh, to look at ways in which health and social care and community care is configured here in Telford, Reekin and Shropshire. Now, I know that you have regular phone conversations with the MPs and health bosses, and, and I've been asked um, by the same person to ask you, the Royal Shrewsbury and Telford's um, PRH hospitals are currently under investigation for what's been dubbed um, a maternity scandal. They're also in special measures. There are now concerns about their medical wards. Do you have any concerns about the trust? Well, I've raised my concerns with the new chief executive of of the Health Trust, uh, Louise, um, and I think actually, if you remember, and this is not, I'm not saying this is down to me uh, single-handedly, but I was very critical of the leadership of the Trust and uh, the previous Chief Executive left, uh, um, maybe linked or not linked to, to my criticism of, of him. There's been a number of significant changes in the leadership at SAF. Um, I um, know that in terms of the baby deaths um, inquiry, a lot of those 
uh, sad instances happened considerably you know, significantly uh, in the past that doesn't mean we shouldn't look at them absolutely we should but they're not necessarily recent practices um, my son was born um, at, uh, at SAF I received fantastic care from the midwife that um, we had so I think I'm not concerned I feel safe to go there members of my family uh, go there I would go there if I needed to go there um, but I do think that there is there needs to be organizational change and my big criticism around local health bosses is been they've, they've been looking up at the sky, wondering about future fit, and thinking future fit will solve every problem that they have. And they've not looking at they're not looking at the ground, and they're getting tripped up uh, by their own feet. And I think that they need to have a think about how they can invest in um, and improve health provision, but do that together rather than be um, absolutely obsessed with this buildings project. Okay, well, let's take a, a look at education now. I mean, still linked to coronavirus because some children have started um, to go back to school. And we've had a, a question here from Angela Coles. Um, my question is regarding secondary school returns in September, she says. Um, my children have informed me that their secondary school has around 20 or so sinks available for hundreds of children who attend there. Um, they go to HLC. Uh, my question is... How are children going to keep up a routine hand-washing system for COVID safety? Is the government providing funding, do you know, for installing additional sinks in uh, general classrooms or corridors? Um, she goes on, there currently seems to be a reliance on hand sanitizers instead of hand-washing, which Angela says is less effective. Um, also, Angela's children are allergic to hand sanitizers. And I know some schools are uh, academies, but broadly speaking... What would you say to Angela? Well, it's going to be difficult. And what we, what we need is a plan to get children back to school um, in, in, in numbers. And that's what's been lacking, I think, in terms of the national approach. There's been no plan. And there's been no plan to get kids back to school. There's been no plan in terms of capital investment that's required. There's been no plan in terms of understanding the individual issues, because I'm, I'm aware from my own case working my own ward that there are uh, parents who are shielding, who's, who are very concerned about their kids going to school because of what the, their children might bring back to the household. So then this is a really complex picture. But what we are absolutely committed to do is work with all of our schools, academy uh, or otherwise, to get schools to a place where they are safe to open, whether that be investing in more facilities using government funding uh, or hand sanitizers or whatever it might be. It's really, really important. Um, and I think um, I would just like to say a big thank you to all of our schools here in Telford Rican. All of them have continued to operate through this. This whole idea that schools have closed at any point during this pandemic is um, for the birds, really. They've, they've, they've continued to operate um, and they've been, they've been doing a fantastic job. Jill Etoff, the principal, chief executive of HLC, I know her personally. She will ensure that um, se um, pupil and staff safety is the, f uh, the, power, the f forefront of all that she does. Um, but absolutely, to answer the question, we need a plan, and we need that plan. We need that plan months ago, but we certainly need that now over the next six weeks, so we can get schools ready. There has been some concern, not just in Telford and Rekin, but that depending on which school you go to, is how lucky you are in terms of the education that you're receiving. Is that is that a fair criticism? Yeah, and I've I've spoken to our director of education here at Telford and Rekin about that, and cabinet, my cabinet member for education, Shirley Reynolds, is really passionate about this agenda too. And we've work, we're working with schools. We want to hear. Uh, what people's views are and experiences of that because I think that there has been a, a huge amount of effort from teachers and head teachers and governing bodies to try and assist uh, kids at home. Um, 
whether that's been too uh, too much in some cases or not enough in other cases, um, um, that's you know, clearly it, it depends on the child really, doesn't it? But um, I think there has been support for um, for children here in Telfenriken, and um, but we're keen to understand uh, how that works. Now we're only ever a step away from a Leicester lockdown, um, so we need to make sure we have a plan of action working with our schools, and so that if we do have a phase over a national or local lockdown, that kids continue to get educated. Um, I genuinely believe that education is the best way in order to ensure that social mobility and to ensure that kids have a healthy and happy life. So we can't see this as a zero-sum game that actually kids can't access education because of this pandemic. We need to find ways in which alternative provision is, is, is possible. But we absolutely need to have a, 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 a government-backed plan and investment strategy to ensure that happens. The government really stepped into action, didn't they, with building Nightingale hospitals um, during this pandemic? But there has been some criticism that they haven't done similar for schools. Yeah, and I think, I mean, credit, credit is where credit's due. And I think the armed services in particular did a fantastic job in getting Nightingale's uh, um, um, operational. But yeah, we do need that type of plan. We need a plan about, you know, right at the beginning of this, in terms of the NHS, we were fast-tracking nurses in their final year to get them to the ward. We were ensuring that doctors could qualify early or be supervised early. Actually, that type of approach is an approach that we could think about now with our teachers. So teachers who are newly qualified, teachers that are literally going to be looking for their first job in September, let's bring them forward now and let's look at ways in which we can increase that capacity. Equally, are there teachers that have retired who can help reach capacity? I said as a council leader that we've got community buildings and even until recently office space where we could have children in um, if the schools wanted that to happen and unfortunately there's been a lack of um, leadership and direction from um, the government on this and we've got to use the next six weeks holiday the next six weeks during the summer holidays to get that plan working as I say I really hope that in September there's a degree of normality but you know as I say um, when we're, we're only ever a step or two away from a, a Leicester type lockdown or a national lockdown we, we've got to have a plan to help our kids it would be criminal to leave kids behind again um, like they've been left behind, almost forgotten about, I've got to say. Have you got a plan? We're working with our schools and academies. So actually one of the things we, we did very early on is we purchased PPE for schools so they could open uh, safely. We want kids back in the classroom. And incidentally, um, for many children, um, unfortunately, a, a significant minority, a minority with a significant minority, um, home isn't necessarily the safest place to be and I'm absolutely and so is this council aware of that and we want to work with our schools and our schools absolutely want to work with us to ensure that that type of um, support's happening and also we know that there are children who will see significant drops in their, in, in their learning uh, record because of this uh, break and we want to make sure that kids have the opportunity to catch up so for example we're purchasing only today we've purchased over 200 laptops to allow schools and primary schools uh, to help children uh, to, uh, to uh, catch up their learning over the six-week holiday and, and beyond, beyond. It's those practical uh, actions that we need, and we need a government-backed plan in order to do that. And those laptops that, you, that you've bought and sent out, that's in addition to the laptops that, that came from government, yes. slightly later than you were expecting. Yeah, so the government laptops came, and actually in April, came back a couple of weeks ago. Um, they came, they were in a box, um, no software, that needed, needed to be configured, so we've done all that. Got, the, got those um, the first sort of 500 uh, laptops out. Um, but there's a number of uh, kids, uh, head teachers were telling us there are a number of children that were just falling between the cracks of that government scheme. So working with local councillors, working with parish and town councils, 
um, and some schools. We've been able to find the funding and uh, we'll make, be making announcements on that. Uh, uh, in fact, on Radio Shropshire tomorrow morning. Now, I, I know that things have been treated very differently depending on where, on where you live. So the UK nations have, have behaved differently in, in, in coronavirus. And I know in, in Wales, there's a Labour First Minister. I know that you went to uni in Aberystwyth. <laughs> I know that Wales is close to your heart and of course Labour is. Who's got it right? The English government or, or Labour in Wales? Well, I think I, th- I think it's not that sort of binary. I think that, there's, that uh, there are things that this government in England and the UK have got right. I and mean, I think we have to say uh, that that when they get it right, we should support them. And we want. We, I mean, ultimately, it's, it, we want every, we want this. We want the government response to succeed. But in Wales, um, I'm not close to the detail necessarily, but I know th- uh, that their R rate is is significantly lower than in England. I know that their uh, mortality rates are lower um, in, in, in most settings in Wales, so they are getting something right. And I think we shouldn't be so arrogant to, to believe that just because uh, England aren't doing something, uh, that we can't learn from our other home nations, whether that be in Ireland, uh, in Wales, or in Scotland, or indeed across the world. So the sad reality of the situation is we've got the second worst um, death rate in the country at the moment, excuse me, in the world at the moment. So we've got to learn from those who haven't got that. And I think Wales have got, have got some of the answers. I think, for example, the five-mile rule, it makes complete sense to me that you want to try and keep people in a, in a, in a zone so that, that that infection risk is not being spread from one area to another. Now, does that cause hardship? I'm sure it does. But does it save lives or does it limit the, um, the virus? I think it probably does. You are now welcome back in Wales. I love Wales. You can, you can, you can travel. Uh, you can dra- travel back. And the, the Welsh First Minister Mark Drakeford has become a bit of a, a social media star because he was asked what his favourite cheese was. Should I try and do the same for you? <laughs> What's your favourite cheese? Stilton. <laughs> <laughs> Very quick. I think you had an answer there. I'm asking you about politics and and, and Labour because it, it does feed into a question that I've had um, from Beth from Muxton. She's, uh, she's got a series of questions which she says she submitted on behalf um, of her dad who lives in the borough. Um, she asks, or he asks, would you describe Telford and Rican Council as a socialist council? I would. I, we, we are a council that's controlled by the Labour Party here in Telford and Rican and we have socialist values to our heart and I'm not embarrassed to say that. So on, over the last nine years since we've taken control of this council, we've prioritised things like uh, food banks and food, uh, food bank provision. I'm really proud of our breakfast provision. I'm really proud of the things that we've been doing. But equally, I'm an absolute, and we are as an administration, pragmatic. Without a healthy economy, without, without business winning, business supporting policies to get businesses here to create jobs, then our economy is nothing. So we want to have a fantastic hard be- uh, um, region beating economy. We want decent homes for all, but we want to make sure that we're protecting the most vulnerable people here in Telford and Reekin uh, too. And I, and I think, of course, there's always more that we can do, but I think we've got a good record on that. Why do you think sometimes socialism is, is seen as a bit of a poison chalice, you know, to ask, are you a socialist council? I don't, I don't know, actually. I think, I think you know, there's, there's probably an argument that that, that, that word socialism has been, has been sort of uh, ripped apart by uh, certain media groups and political parties. I, I think, ultimately, what I always ask um, of myself and my team ask of themselves here in Telford Rican is, the service we do, the project we do, the thing we're doing and delivering, is it the best that it can possibly be for Telford and Rican? Because ultimately, on a very selfish basis, I live here with my family too, 
Um, so actually a thriving Telford Rican is in my interest as much as it's in, in the interest of anybody else. Do you feel more comfortable though having Sir Keir Starmer as, as your leader than, than Jeremy Corbyn? Well I think Keir Starmer has been a fantastic uh, leader of the Labour Party up until this point. Uh, clearly early days for him, I did vote for him as you know. For you, If you look back to the local elections of Telford and Rekin Council, you um, increased your majority locally here. Um, and many, many people came out and voted Labour who, who had said that they would have previously would have voted Green if you know, when there was a candidate. And then there was the general election and the Labour candidate didn't do so well in, in, in Telford and, and in Rekin. Do you think that was partly due to the leader? Well, I think the general election was a, uh, an election on general issues um, and things like uh, Brexit clearly was an issue. Things like uh, Jeremy Corbyn did come up and I'm not going to uh, demur from that um, or sidestep it because anybody who knocked on the door uh, during that time knew that that was the issue uh, or one of the issues, certainly. But we're, we need to look forward now in terms of trying to hold this government to account and move, up, move to a positive um, journey. Have a positive vision for the country. Looking forward, and this is personally looking forward because this is uh, Beth or Beth's dad. Uh, question number two: Do you, Sean Davis, have any ambitions to be an MP? Um, I think I've got one of the top political jobs in the, in the borough right now in terms of being the leader of the council. We can get so much done. Um, we've got so much to deliver on. Um, I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of um, delivering for the people of Telford and Rekin. I'm not going to rule out um, that. Clearly, it, it depends on uh, the electorate and it depends on uh, the local parties and all that type of stuff. So I'm not going to be uh, so arrogant to say, yes, I do. Um, if I'm asked, uh, if, if people think I'm, I'm good, good enough for that role, then I would, th I would consider it. But equally, I'm really, really passionate about this borough. And as a leader of the council, we can deliver so much as a team here. Would it need to be in the borough? Would you want to stand in the borough? My heart's here, here in Telford and Rican, clearly. So my family are. You might need to. Where I'm from. You might to get need to get a dress. It's all women shortlist for Labour. Well, yeah, you know, and, and that's good, isn't it? Because today we've seen um, for the first time uh, the Labour Party got has got more women MPs than they have uh, the the men. Um, the Conservatives have got twenty five percent of uh, women MPs. So we've led the way in terms of getting women into Parliament, and that's and that's a really good thing. Um, and I'm not arrogant enough to believe that um, I am um, any better than any other uh, woman. Uh, who can do the who can do the role or, or man for that matter? Okay, well I'm going to st stick with Beth's questions. I have got some more um, coming in that I want to try and get through. But um, Beth's final um, question is: It's been stated, um, she says, that Keir Starmer is reviewing the 2030 carbon neutral policy. The Independent newspaper um, said it would be dropped. Will that mean that Telford and Rican Council will also be dropping this target? And would you support Keir? In doing this, well, firstly, no. We are, our pledge here as a council stands, uh, and we're working towards that. In fact, we're coming to almost a year now. And Carolyn Healy, my cabinet member for climate change, actually, as a leader of the council, first uh, administration to have a cabinet leave for uh, climate emergency, which I'm really proud about, uh, is, is, is working with partners on, on an action plan for that. And I think, in terms of the national pick, um, that national question. That's already been answered, and no, we're not going to be dropping that nationally either. Okay, well, let's let's stick with with the environment, and I've got a question that's come in from Jamie Russell, and it centres around pensions and and the environment. It's it's quite a complicated question, so do bear with me. Um, 
Campaigners have called on Shropshire's flagship pension fund to end its investment in fossil fuels. So a new campaign group has launched. It's called Fossil Free Shropshire. Um, they claim that now is the right time for Shropshire County Pension Fund to follow others across the country in divesting uh, for both economic and environmental reasons. Um, this fund does manage the retirement fund of, of Shropshire and Telford and Reekin Council staff and, and others as, as well. And um, we know that the fund currently has £27 million invested in BP and Shell. It's a complicated issue. This comes in from Jamie Russell. What are your thoughts on this? Well, firstly, we're in touch with, 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 with the group that you mentioned. Um, I mean, firstly, the pension fund um, is not controlled by me or the, or the administration here at Telfan Rekin. Um, we do have representatives on the pension fund, uh, along with all the other organisations concerned. Um, I think it's really important to say, first of all, that those people who are in charge of the pension fund must ensure that by its members, by law, um, those members, it's their money, um, it are protected and being invested in the right way. I think actually what this pandemic has demonstrated, and indeed the climate emergency has dem uh, demonstrated, is, is investment in fossil fuels uh, a, a sound uh, financial investment as well as a moral investment. Now, I think moral, morally, that's a matter of your own judgment. But even financially, it's not necessarily the best type of investment that you should be uh, um, um, investing in. So I, I've got sympathy with the argument. In fact, I would go further. Um, I think there's a, a real um, moral obligation uh, on all pension funds, particularly those ones who operate in public sector, to look at local investments. Uh, as, we, as we've touched on earlier on around the economy, we need money to be pumped into local economies. Uh, there's some fantastic examples in Greater Manchester where pension funds have been used to um, build infrastructure in those local areas. Why can't we do something uh, around uh, that agenda? So um, my message is clear to the Shropshire Pension Fund. Uh, you've got to make sure that you're, uh, you have a moral uh, basis for your investments, protecting uh, your members' uh, interests. And actually, in terms of fossil fuel investments, if you look at what's happened to that market um, over recent years, it might not be the, the, the best um, uh, market to be in right now. OK, I'm going to move on because I've got some more questions coming in. Um, we are going back to the care home issue. Um, we've um, had a message here from Samantha Jones, and she's asking, um, have Telford and Rican Council checked that care homes um, are following the guidance they're meant to, or have you just taken their word for it. So I suppose she's asking what, what checks and, and balances you've had. So we have a commissioning team. Um, I mean, first of all, it's, it's, it's important to say that we don't, we as a council don't directly uh, deliver care. We do that through private organisations um, so, uh, who are regulated by the Care Quality Commission. So we are absolutely ensuring that uh, where we've put additional money into those care homes that they should be following uh, those rules uh, where where they're not, uh, we'll, we will take action. Whether our concerns from staff, patients, or uh, patients' families, uh, then we, we would act uh, on those concerns ourselves. Or if not, uh, if it wasn't appropriate for us to do so, uh, for the Care Quality Commission to do so. Um, but I think uh, to answer the question directly, I can't sit here, can I, and say that every care home in the borough is operating all the time uh, across the rules uh, because I don't know that. But if there are concerns that Sam has, uh, then please do contact me and I'll be more than happy to look into them. Do you think in, in the future there's been more and more responsibility placed on your shoulders as a local authority during coronavirus? Do you think in, in the future 
local health could be something that is siphoned more down to you guys. Could we have NHS commissioners who are looking and working directly with, with the local authority here on the ground? I would really hope so. And I think that there are some examples, again, in England, elsewhere in England, where you've got that sort of health and that local government into, in, integration. It's something I'm really passionate about here in South and Reakin. Uh, you'll know that the, 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 the health bodies, health and reeking infrastructure, uh, are going to merge. I argued and we argued here at the council that actually uh, uh, we would like as a council to uh, set up a joint venture with health commissioners so we can ensure that health and social care is integrated. That was turned down. But I am working with uh, Dave Evans, the chief officer of the new uh, health body, to look at ways in which we can jointly employ staff so that we can have that, that integration. Uh, because if you don't get health right, uh, then you don't get a lot of things right. And equally, some of the agendas that we do, for example, education, uh, um, looking after vulnerable children and adults and housing, if we get those things right, that then saves money and equally, you know, and more importantly, better health, health outcomes for our residents. My concern is we're not that integrated. And I think we should be even more, in, you know, I think we should be integrated further as we go forward. You'd want more money for that as well? Well, of course, but it doesn't necessarily have to be new money, does it? It, it? it could be the money that's floating around in the system at the moment. Um, and, and I think we, if worked, working together, we could, uh, we could um, do some fantastic things. I mean, just a very small anecdotal example of that. We set up um, breakfast club provision and, and summer holiday hunger clubs. Now, yeah, okay, small fry uh, in the scheme of things, but that's helping hundreds of children, um, some of the most vulnerable children in our borough, have food. We know from the evidence that that then turns out is a reduction in fast food in those areas being ordered and, and consumed. We know that GP appointments are, uh, are are reduced in those areas. And so, actually, why can't health help us with those social inter interventions? I've had a direct message come in to me um, via via Twitter, and please do keep sending them in at Gallica Joanne is my Twitter handle, or you can get in touch via Facebook at Telford Reckon Council or Radio Shropshire. Um, I'm being asked about the pillar testing it's a complex issue this isn't it pillar one pillar two local authorities have been involved in the in the pillar two testing and getting some of that data back has proved tricky and that that data would have enabled you to have a look at any hot spots of of any um, of any of the viruses well it's a scandal actually I, um so for for people who don't know why would you know pillar one is effectively the tests that happen in hospitals we've always had that data come through sometimes uh, uh, with a, a bit of a, a lag, time lag um, but we've, we've had that information P so-called pillar two are um, care get the tests that are taking place in drive-through centers and out outside in the community and we haven't always historically had that information and when we have had that information we've had partial um, postcodes so for example um, per, uh, we wouldn't know any, uh, male, female, age or anything Some, somebody in, in TF2 has tested positive for coronavirus now clearly from a data point of view that doesn't help us understand how we can track and trace uh, those people and help um, support the community and what we've learned in Leicester was that, peer, that tier 2 information was rocketing ahead uh, uh, when, um, uh, when you compared it to pillar 1 information so it's really really important over the, the last week or so, um, a little bit before that, uh, we've, that information has improved, the data has improved, which is good. But if we want to um, beat this virus, what we have to do is we have to go for it street by street. And that's why the government have recognised now, I think, that councils have got a, cl a clear and important role 
to play to get rid of coronavirus. There's no point doing this in Whitehall. You've got to do it with councils, um, street by street, house by house, workplace by workplace. Find the people who've tested positive. Find the people that have interacted with uh, those people. Ask those people to um, to isolate and drive down the numbers. And um, the data that we were having was either non-existent or partial, uh, which just simply wasn't good enough. Would it make life easier, do you think, for you to be able to make local decisions about about the virus and how people are impacted in in the borough? Well, we've, we've kind of given, been given the responsibility without the, the without the power. So, for example, if uh, people you know, people talk about local lockdowns all the time, but if there was an outbreak in the school at the moment, as things stand, we as a council do not have the power to close that school down. We would have to go to a, 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 an official in London to ask them to do that. So we haven't got that clear, robust plan in place where local organisations and authorities working with partners uh, uh, can make those uh, joint decisions. And as I say, if we're serious about, and I'm absolutely you know, convinced we all are serious about trying to get this virus off our shores, uh, then we've got to uh, tra- uh, tra- tra- track it we've got to uh, absolutely get down to exactly where it is and, and chase it um, and that's the only way we're going to win. As I was um, driving this evening um, here I um, heard on the news that um, the World Health Organization has looked again at about wearing face masks and that may be something that um, people should be should be doing. Have you seen many people locally wearing them? Yeah yeah and I, and I, and I will wear a face mask when I'm in, when I'm in a, a supermarket or something like that. Um, I think it's another actually really good example where we've been slow uh, as, a, as a country, the Health Organisation have been talking about testing, testing, testing for a very long time. We were slow um, to get our testing regime in place and uh, scaled up. And equally on, on uh, public transport and masks, uh, you know, it was, there was a lot of differing before that decision happened. I think um, the, the mask doesn't help uh, you, it helps you from other people. So it helps and protect people from you just in case you've got the virus. And we've seen some data out today, haven't we, where 70, 80% of people who are testing positive are not showing symptoms. That means there's lots and lots of people walking around there, walking around town or wherever, not even knowing that they've got the virus, but they are spreading it. Now, we know the lockdown is starting to ease. Pubs opened over the weekend. Have you been to one yet? I have, yes. I had a, I, I had a pint um, uh, in one uh, on Sunday. Socially distanced. Socially distanced. Yeah, sitting sat outside with uh, my family uh, with a bite to eat. Because actually, you know, pubs can be a very, very safe place um, as long as people are responsible. People follow the rules. Landlords, landladies, and uh, pub managers know the rules. And as long as they, um, uh, you know, make sure those rules are followed, they can be safe places, and they are safe places. Just like schools are, just like shopping centres are. They're not risk-free. But we know what the things we have to do to try and protect ourselves. And we've got to get out there and we've got to back our local businesses because if we don't use them, then we will lose them. Not the scenes in Telford that we, uh, that we saw in London. No, I mean, I mean, yeah, clearly London is uh, it's, it's like a city like no other, isn't it? And, and actually those things could have been predicted, I'm sure. Um, local councils in London did predict them, tried to put, put measures in place. But also, it's like, it's like uh, the, the beaches, isn't it? You know, one of my... Uh, one of my friends, a local government uh, leader of a council with a beach uh, in, in the south of England, they don't have the power to uh, close the beach. They don't even have the power to, to limit the time that people are on the beach. Um, so we've got to have the powers if we're going to be given the responsibilities here in local government. 
and hairdressers and barbers they reopened as well have you treated yourself yet i haven't yet no my um the hairdressers i use um in mallon's lee uh haven't had me back yet but my wife has been cutting my hair uh, um very well if she's watching very right indeed i believe it was one of the first purchases wasn't it yes it was some hair clippers yes that was one of our first uh the first purchases. Well, as we talk about the lockdown um, easing, um, Sean um, has been in touch with a question. Sean is from uh, Newport, and she's asking, um, when will the play area in Norbroom Park in Newport, it's a TF10, if you didn't know, uh, when will it be unlocked? Um, she says, I'm sure that you can appreciate it makes my grandchildren very sad that they can't play. It, I bet it makes your grandchildren uh, very sad. And can I just say that as a father to a three-year-old who personally blames me for closing the play parks in Telford Can I feel your pain so firstly um, to answer the question directly in all seriousness we are going to be opening our play parks uh, in our main district centres uh, Newport, uh, Open Gates, uh, Maley so on um, and, and the town, Telford Town Park uh, in, in the next couple of days or so um, we are going to take a safety first approach all of these um, this, this play equipment needs to be cleaned it will be cleaned we need to look at ways in which we can minimise the risk because that's what we want to do. But equally, we want people to be very, very um, safe, uh, safety first too. So please bring hand sanitizer with you so you can give that to your child before and after uh, using the play equipment. Please consider um, not being on the play part for too long um, so that other people can access it. Uh, in terms of the more street, what I call sort of street level uh, parks, the, the more local parks, there'll be a phased approach, um, again, led by uh, safety uh, first. Um, in, in the coming weeks but we hope to have all of them open uh, certainly within within the six weeks summer holidays and how are you and staff starting to feel now that things are starting to to slightly get back to normal i think it's it's a hard one isn't it because what we we did very very quickly we were able to close down services and actually op reopening services are very is, is, is much more difficult so if you look at our library provision for example we've got a quarantine books for 72 hours uh, before uh, we can put them back on the shelves because of the uh, because of the issues around plastic. So there's making sure that we're trying to do everything we can to minimise the risk to our residents, but at the same time ensure services are open. And actually, if you look at uh, some of the services that we fundamentally provide, so for example, our bin collections, many other areas of the country reduced uh, and removed uh, recycling uh, collections from the curbside. That isn't that that isn't something that we did. We were able to protect protect those basic services. So, and we will continue to do so but like I always say this situation of reopening is not risk-free and you would not thank me for rushing to open these services without making every effort to try and minimize the risk to you I've had one final question come in about the the food share project I, I believe it's a project that, that you're aware of I think they collect food and distribute to people um, in need and they, they're working in in, in Telford and I've I've been picking up some concern on social media about how their how their bins and and rubbish um, are collected. Just explain to me what the issue is there. Well, like all organisations, we work with to help vulnerable people, and this particular company um, are a company that we've provided grants to. Uh, we've provided uh, free uh, uh, waste collection uh, services with, in conjunction with uh, Veolia uh, for a fixed period of time. Um, they operate on a, on a slightly different model, being a um, a, a, a private organisation because they um, charge people for uh, the food that they collect. So what we've been trying to do uh, with them is work out a way in which we can continue to offer a service around uh, waste collections, uh, but also making sure that actually the 
um, people who provide um, the, the waste, which is in this case the supermarkets, uh, are evading their responsibilities to, uh, to recycle. So we're working with, with the organisation. We're thankful for the, the work that the organisation is doing. They've been provided with significant um, um, council support. We want to see how we can support them further. We're in contact with them, uh, but as a partner, uh, we want to um, ensure that we get the best uh, possible service for our residents. So you're in discussions with them? Officers of council are, absolutely, yes. Sean Davis, thank you very much thank for you. your time. Well, that's all we've got time for this evening. Thank you so much um, for joining us and for watching and sending in your questions. And uh, thank you to uh, Telford and Recon Council leader, Sean Davis. I hope you have a very good and pleasant evening. Good night.